0: Welcome to Envision Community Church's Ridiculous Love Podcast. Whether you attend our Longmont-based services or tune in online, we're so glad that you're here as part of our funky and fully affirming church today. We begin each of our podcasts just as we begin each of our services, with our ethos. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ plus and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. If you'd like to financially contribute to our church and our partners, you can text any amount to 84321. And now, on to this week's sermon.
1: It's good to be back in Colorado. I was in Atlanta last weekend speaking for a Pride event, and that was enjoyable. Um, I'm doing, um, spoke at the Lions Pride event yesterday, which was just delightful. Uh, we had probably 250 people or so there. Karen was there. Um, I didn't find out until I got there that I was the keynote speaker, uh, so there was that. Uh, but you know, that probably, you guys know me, it was like, oh, okay. So I took, I don't know, 90 seconds, and then I was ready to go, and it was really just utterly delightful. I like living in Colorado. I'm saying things uh, in my MC segment in uh, TED on Saturday that I think are going to make me cry about being here, in the section where I'm supposed to be making everybody laugh. So I got to think about this, you know, the, the wisdom of it, but um, my gratefulness to live in Colorado, you know, where we take care of our trans kids, where we have the best medical care available, really, for transgender and, and non-binary adolescents, where we have a governor who's gay, and the best part is, yeah, I can say that in this particular room, no one gives a shit. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not even a thing uh, that he's gay. And, you know, I love it. I, I was... Um, you know, we were talking about everybody on the on the town board in Lyons, and our town administrator was saying, "Boy, I hope everybody else is going to you know re up because we've gotten so much done as a as a town board." And I said to everybody, "Well, you know, uh, yeah, but um, you know, if you haven't noticed since the last election, uh, the world's taken a really anti-trans turn, and um, so there's no guarantee I would be elected next time around." At which point, like every last one of them said, "Oh." that's right, we always forget you're trans. And I said to them, and that's why I love living in Colorado. You know, that's what I love about being in Lyons. Nobody cares. It is not a thing. That's how it should be. When I was meeting with writers in uh, Hollywood, Last November, uh, 60 of them currently writing shows and they're asking me, how should we be presenting trans people? I said, the interesting thing at this point in life is not that they're trans. The interesting thing at this point in life is that they're people. So that's where we've evolved to and how the stories need to be presented. We need to just be presenting good stories uh, in which some of the characters happen to be trans, just like we've already moved on to good stories where some of the characters happen to be gay. Uh, And it was so nice to see how wonderfully they responded to all of that. And that has nothing to do with my sermon. So I think it's probably good for me to get started. We are, in fact, in Pride Month. And two weeks ago, I was talking about what the Bible does and does not say about being gay. Uh, last week, Heather Lynn had a special concert for us, which was absolutely wonderful. Next, next weekend, yeah, thank you. Next weekend is our Pride service, which Christy is in charge of every year. I love last year as I sneaked in while I was on my sabbatical. And Just enjoy that and that'll be next week and then we're having a party afterwards next week and this week We're going to be talking about Transgender people and you say well that's kind of self-referential isn't it particularly since it's just one part of the LGBTQIA um, Community and it's like yeah, I'll tell you. Here's why we're going to be talking about that this evening There's a reason for it in 2019 There were 25 bills introduced in state legislatures around the United States, taking away the civil rights of transgender people. Thank God, none of them passed. That was 2019. To date, to date... In 2023, 556 laws have been introduced in 49 state legislatures, 78 of them have passed, 75 as of Wednesday, I haven't checked the numbers since Wednesday, 75 have been signed into law, all of them taking away the civil rights of transgender people. So yeah, I think we need to talk specifically about transgender people. So tonight we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the politics of it. We're also going to talk about what it means to be trans. And some of the things I want to say tonight are not for you who are here, not for you who are online, live, because some of you already, well, all of you pretty much already know the answers to these things. But we have hundreds of people who watch during the week. And so some of what I'm going to be saying tonight is for their sake, uh, because they don't know as much about what it means to be transgender. The trans. Transgender population is about 0.58% of the population, which means that roughly one of every 200 people you encounter in the world is transgender. What does it mean to be transgender? It means you have a consistent, persistent understanding that the gender that's listed on your birth certificate is not the gender with which you identify. It's pretty much that simple. You have a consistent, persistent feeling that the gender listed on your birth certificate is not the gender you are, not the gender with which you identify. And people will often ask me, because I tell them they can ask me anything, they will ask me, what causes someone to be transgender? And the answer to that is, we do not know. Now we do have some pretty good ideas and some recent studies are rather fascinating because we never thought it was genetic until we now think it might be genetic. And let me tell you why. It's a small study, but it's the significant one. A study of 43 sets of twins in which at least one of the twins was transgender. And that's why they're in the study. 43 sets of twins in which one is transgender. 21 sets of the twins were fraternal twins, 22 were identical twins. Of the 21 sets of fraternal twins, do you know how many of the second twin were also transgender? Zero. None. None of the 21. Of the 22 identical twins, do you know how many of the second twins out of the 22 were transgender? Nine. Over 40%. So though it is a small study, it's a fascinating study in telling us there may in fact be a genetic component to being transgender. We've known for quite some time that a good bit of its causation, and there may be multiple causes, is in the second trimester of a pregnancy. It's the end of the first trimester when it's determined what gender our bodies are going to be. Every fetus begins as a female, and at the end of the first trimester, not quite half in the world will receive an androgen wash that causes that body to become a male body. But interestingly, the human brain does not create its connection to the body that's been created until the beginning of the third trimester. And so we know that there's some kind of a short that takes place in lots of different people with lots of different diagnoses that cause their brain to not form a connection with the body that has been created. For instance, one particular condition very difficult to deal with is apotemnophilia. Uh, apotemnophilia. And that is a condition in which your brain does not make a connection to one of your limbs that has developed. It's not all that uncommon. So imagine what it would be like. If every morning the first thing your brain said to you when you woke up was, hey, there's a log sticking out of your chest, you really ought to remove the log, I mean, you know, this would be difficult your entire life. That's how these folks feel all day, every day, with the limb of their body. Their brain says to them, that's a foreign object, it's not supposed to be there, you need to get rid of it. In the United States, we will not remove healthy limbs. Many European nations will. Interestingly, the distress of those people is gone the instant the limb has been removed because the brain finally is able to say, yes, I told you all along there was not supposed to be anything there, and now there's nothing there. Now, you and I, if we lose a limb, we, because we have a phantom limb, are able to use a prosthetic device. These people when they lose that limb have no phantom limb because the brain never made a connection to the limb in the first place. So we know what's going on with a lot of trans people is that the brain has not made a connection to the body that has developed. Or if it has made a connection, it's only a partial connection. So interestingly, one study was done and I love this one of 300 pre-hormonally treated transgender people. And it's important to treat them pre-hormonally or do the study pre- because once you've taken hormones, it changes your brain structure fundamentally. So the study done of 300 trans folks pre-hormonal treatment indicated that transgender men and women, I'm a transgender woman, someone who identified female at birth, who is a man, is a transgender man. We discovered that 50% of those people's brains, pre-hormonal treatment, operate male and operate female. So I often say to people that I come from the borderlands between genders, that I come from the liminal space between genders, and in fact, that study would indicate that our brains are roughly halfway between male and female, except in some specific areas, consistently, they are 100% not the gender on their birth certificate. So for instance, apparently, I have never processed odors in the way a male brain processes odors. I have always processed them, in the way that a female processes them. Also, we discovered when it comes to spatial awareness, I have apparently always had the spatial awareness that goes along with being male, that most males have the same spatial awareness that I experience. So for these trans people, in some ways, their brains were functioning primarily male, always, some ways primarily female, a lot of other ways kind of in between. And for a lot of those folks, where there's not been that full connection made between the body that's been created and the brain, there is great, great distress that gets worse with the passage of time. So what percentage of the population is transgender? 0.58% has been consistently true worldwide until now. And in the United States, we're often at 1.5% and nowadays often at 5%. So is it true that 5% of the population is transgender? Ah, now you get into the political difficulties we have in the United States today. Because it's actually a very good question for therapists. It's not a good question to get into politically. So if we really want to understand if the number of transgender people is increasing, the United States is not where you want to look. You want to look to Northern Europe, where people have been transitioning genders without cultural difficulty for 50 years. The Dutch protocol was the first used in the very early 1970s. And so when we take a look at the Scandinavian nations, we look at uh, Amsterdam particularly as a city, we look at England, uh, we look at France, um, also Germany, also uh, Switzerland, and we see what's happening. We find there too, there's an increase in the number of people who identify as transgender, but it's not as high as 5%, it's about 1.5%. And a lot of the people are fascinated there because in some of those nations, like for instance in Belgium, their number of trans teens has increased 42-fold. Not 42%, 42 42-fold. In Sweden, it's 17-fold. 17 times what it was just 15 years ago. So they're trying to understand exactly what's happening Because we also see another number increasing exponentially And that is the number of teens who transition genders Who then detransition And yes, you guessed it The political right in the United States is taking that information And trying to make hay with it Saying look at all the numbers of people who are detransitioning Now if we take the politics out of it and look in Europe They are fascinated by it because historically in Europe, those who present with gender dysphoria, which is what it's called in the DSM 5, better than the DSM 4, where it was gender identity disorder, but in the DSM 5, gender dysphoria, uh, we take a look at that. And historically, people who have gender dysphoria, 25% of them have another diagnosis, what those of us who are therapists call a comorbidity, which is in fact roughly the same as the population at large. But now when we take a look at what's happening right now in Belgium with a 42-fold increase, and we're discovering 75% of those have a serious comorbidity. So they have a second and very serious mental health diagnosis, which is causing everyone to scratch their heads and Show some concern about that because that's not something we've seen before Also, when we take a look at Europe We find that the vast majority of that 42-fold increase were identified as female at birth Now does any of this really matter? Actually, I think in a lot of ways it does not matter. The wonderful thing Is for young people to be able to experiment with who they are figure out their gender identity and do it in their own time frame. I think it's an absolutely wonderful thing. Oh my goodness, if I had had that opportunity as a teenager to spend some time trying it out as a boy, some time trying it out as a girl, that would have been absolutely wonderful for me. I would have been able to understand that much sooner that I, in fact, am certainly transgender. So it's actually a very good thing except for one big issue. Medical treatment. So if, in fact, you have a much larger segment of the population that are interested in exploring their gender, and you are, in fact, providing them with medical care that is not reversible, you could have an issue. So the question for a lot of us who are working with trans people, trans kids, and particularly for physicians is, should we be medically treating these young people or not? And there is a rule of thumb that tells you when you should, in fact, be okay treating them. And that is a child who is consistently and persistently from three or four years of age, from three or four years of age, proclaimed Proudly and boldly that they are not the gender on their birth certificate That child is trans will always be trans and can in fact be treated in early adolescence Without any concern that they're going to be one of those who says later on. Oh, you know what? Maybe i'm not So for instance a lot of us have a friend who's in Lyons who has a child Who's trans and that child's very first phrase was mommy i'm a girl And that child That very early, consistently, persistently, that's a child you can treat. Someone who during their teen years is exploring, the exploration is wonderful. When it comes to medical treatment, we need to be very, very careful about medical treatments that are not reversible. Male to female, most of them are reversible. Female to male, testosterone is a powerful substance and that's where we need to be really careful. And in the politically charged environment we have today, I will get in a lot of trouble for saying what I just said to you. Because we live in a place and an age where those on the far left say informed consent, we should allow any of these children to do whatever they want to do. And in reality, I think we need to be careful about the medical treatment. So let's ask a more practical question Of those who transition genders How many of them are happy That they've transitioned genders If you listen to the far right They will tell you Oh not very many Well here are the facts 92% of those who transition genders Are very happy that they have done so Remain happy that they've done so 10 years, 25 years, 50 years after the fact 92% So let's stop looking at the 92% Let's look at the 8% What about the 8% who transition genders and regret it, some of whom transition back, detransition? Of that 8%, 96%, this is a really important number, 24 of every 25 of those people, 96% of them, these are the ones who regret transitioning, be clear about this, 96% of those people actually like their new body. 24 of 25 like their new body. So why are they not happy that they've transitioned? Yeah, let's talk about that. 41% of people who are transgender have attempted suicide at some point or another in their lives. Six times higher than any other diagnosis. Post-transition, 35% of people experience suicidal ideation. Big difference from attempting suicide, suicidal ideation. But we want to ask the question, why? Why? It's the same thing with that 24 out of 25 people. It's not that they don't like their new body. It's that they don't like being rejected by the world. That's what they don't like. So I'm reading an article in The Atlantic, the other day that I probably want to read and the article is about do you keep wanting to work hard and be ambitious and keep doing new things of seeking success in various fields which I might be somewhat guilty of and so I was interested in reading this article and it said actually you will be happier if you just focus on three things faith Family and friends. This wasn't a religious article by the way. This is in the Atlantic faith family and friends and I immediately teared up Okay, I knew about a thousand people by name in my denomination and in the churches I served thousands more Of all of those friends I've had substantive conversations post-transition with six six of thousands Okay, so friends And then family. My nuclear family, I am one of those blessed that they support me 100%. All three of my kids today reached out to say happy Father's Day. Because I'm still dad. And I'm very blessed. Extended family, yeah, not so much. There are people I've not talked to in decades, uh, in a decade, and won't talk to probably ever again. And faith, I was kicked out of my denomination that my family has been in for five generations. So if you think church isn't important, this church is important. For a lot of us, it's the only family we have. When you take a look at those who regret transitioning, there are three things that come up over and over again. One is loss of family, loss of friends, loss of faith, loss of jobs, loss of income, loss of prestige. Number two, second biggest indicator of post-transition suicidal ideation is that you do not pass in your new gender. And of course, the problem with that is then that there's a big segment of the population that does not in fact accept you. But the biggest reason for post-transition suicidal ideation is the internalization of transphobia. Now, I was about as privileged a white man as a person can be. And I'm about as successful a transgender person as exists. And yet, even I cannot take the constant onslaught. So I've gotten mail this week... Um, Three pieces so far One of them I was going to read to you tonight Generally when I see them come in The second I know It's that kind I I don't look at it I don't see it at all But this one I thought I think maybe it's important to do that And so I read it And then I sent it to Christy And she said Do you know the person? And I I said no um, I couldn't do it Because I just can't read it I I can't uh, legitimize what the person wrote and frankly I can't take it in I don't need to be reading it again and I'm very privileged as a trans woman incredibly privileged if it's hard for me we need to be concerned about our trans brothers and sisters. Why have we been chosen? I've talked about this over the last five years. Why does the world hate us particularly? So E.O. Wilson, the sociobiologist at MIT and Harvard, identified nine tribal species of all the species on Earth, only nine, (laughs) only nine, only nine, (laughs) nine, well, that's interesting. That was really interesting. Uh, I was on a strange medication for a medical procedure on Friday, and I'm still not normal, quite seriously. The half-life of this stuff is still in there. So if you, like, want me to sign something tonight, I normally wouldn't sign. This would be the night to ask me, apparently. Uh, Because there are, in fact, nine uh, uh, tribal species. But one tribal species has evolved to believe The enemy is necessary for the tribe to survive. And where no natural enemy exists, they create one. In the Third Reich, it was Jews. In the United States, from the beginning, from the day before we were born, from the 1500s, it's blacks. And then for quite a while, it was the gay population until marriage equality became the rule of the land. And now it's us, transgender people, probably 1% of the population. It's always the chosen enemies are always a helpless group that do not have power. But what we've seen shift is who's driving this? You say, well, it's Republicans. It's not. It's Republican legislatures, but 61% of Republicans believe trans people should have civil rights the same as everyone else. Who's driving it? Evangelical Christians. 2020, 84% of evangelicals believe gender was immutably determined at birth. 84%. 61% believed we already give transgender people too many civil rights. Only 25% knew someone who was a transgender person. So the numbers just came out for 2023. I'm thinking, will they be better? Yeah, no. 2023, 87% of evangelicals believe gender is immutably determined at birth. 67%, two-thirds, believe I have too many civil rights as a transgender person. And now 31%, an increase of six points, know someone who's out as a transgender person. So let's be clear about who is leading this charge. And you say, oh, because the Bible speaks negatively about being transgender. Are you ready? I said I would talk tonight about what the Bible says about being transgender. It says nothing. Nothing. Not a word. Nothing. I have two master's degrees, a doctorate. I know theology. The Bible says nothing. Now, the far right will tell you that Genesis 1, 27, male and female, he created them. Yeah, if you're in Hebrew 101, you know that's not what that is saying. Plus, oh, let's be honest about the fact that there are 16, in fact, total 46, but 16 common forms of inter- intersex, being intersex, which are not male and female. And people say, yeah, it says in Deuteronomy 22, five That you should not wear the clothes of the opposite sex It also says 612 other really weird things in the Old Testament Which of those do you follow? The only thing Jesus ever said on the subject remotely Was talking about those who were, um, in fact Probably half of them forced slave eunuchs who were castrated But the other half, those who were naturally so So Jesus was probably talking about intersex people, transgender people, queer people, and he talked about them as being utterly, completely normal. So this has nothing to do with scripture. It has everything to do with creating enemies that don't exist. So what do you have to do? I think it's really just two things. Proximity and narrative. I get paid a lot of money to speak at universities all over the US. I go to Christian universities for nothing. And I do it at my own expense. Because if I can get in front of those kids, they have to see something in proximity to me and hear my narrative. They find out, oh my God, she's relatively normal. As normal or unnormal, abnormal as I am. You know, if she like knows about three things or nine things, you know, she's okay. You know, she's pretty much like me. Um, yeah, that's the point So I want you to pray for me this week And I want you to think about your own attitudes right now And the last thing I want to say So last week I was in a different city And I had someone At the service Who was very high up In a corporation that you know And it's quite possibly a corporation that, Of which you will have nothing to do As a member of the LGBTQ plus community Because of a position they've taken I'm meeting Wednesday with their chief of operations, and I'm meeting either at the end of the week or early next week with their head of DEI. And there's a pretty fair chance I'm going to be invited to speak at that corporation. That's how we change the narrative. This is a corporation that I won't use their product. We need to be ready to shift when the world shifts. We need to move from our own frustrations to support those who are saying, we'll do what's right to change. It's tough seeing what's happening at An- Anheuser-Busch and Target. So when we see a little bit of light, move toward it. God, And these are scary times. You've asked us to do, really, just three things. Love you. Love our neighbors. Love ourselves. (laughs) There's a lot of us out there who are trans or non-binary are having a hard time loving ourselves. When the world hates us so. Help us to love our neighbors. Uh, Including those who don't like us. This is our prayer, and we ask in the name of Christ.
0: Amen. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. To learn more, go to envisioncommunitychurch.org or facebook.com forward slash envisioncommunitychurch. Thank you for joining us.